Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 6. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's a great privilege to be with you tonight and uh, to see your faces. We've, as a church, have prayed for you and are just delighted to hear what God is doing in your life. And uh, I count it a privilege just to be, to be with you tonight. Uh, I invite you to keep your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 49. Our church has been going through Isaiah. And I know today is Palm Sunday. It's the day that celebrates Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem while riding on that colt of a donkey, um, hailed as the coming king, but knowingly going to Jerusalem to die on a cruel Roman cross. Uh, We certainly anticipate Good Friday service this next week and our resurrection celebration uh, at the end of the week. Saturday for you, Sunday for us. But today I'm, I'm not going to be preaching that traditional Palm Sunday sermon. Instead, we're going to continue in this study that we've been doing in Isaiah. And here in Isaiah 49, we learn some amazing truths about the king who willingly went to Jerusalem to die. Uh, We'll learn today in Isaiah chapter 49, 1 through 6, about the Lord's perfect servant. In fact, here we learn that the perfect servant of the Lord is in fact Jesus. Uh, It's important to consider how we know Jesus is Isaiah's servant of the Lord. Um, In Isaiah's first servant song, found in chapter 42, verses 1 through 9, uh, we learn that Matthew quotes that very passage in Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21, telling us explicitly that Jesus fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. Um, Later, if you look at Isaiah's third servant song, found in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 9, we learn how Jesus fulfilled several important things that were foretold in Isaiah 50. Certainly, uh, you're probably familiar with Isaiah's fourth servant song, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage. And that is a passage that so clearly and powerfully speaks 
of what Jesus endured and why he endured that to justify many. But this morning's text is Isaiah's second servant song, and uh, we learn here that in that Luke in Acts chapter thirteen verses forty four through forty nine tied Paul's mission of taking the gospel to the Gentiles back to this passage in in Isaiah chapter forty nine verse six. Let, listen as I read Acts thirteen forty four through forty nine. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles." For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, and then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Now, also, certainly, even Jesus himself before his ascension in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the end of the age. So I would argue that it's clear Jesus is Isaiah's perfect servant of the Lord. And so it's important for us to establish that as we prepare to come to our text for today, Isaiah 49, 1 through 6. So in this text, there are six important truths about the Lord's perfect servant, which really are six important truths about Jesus. We learn truths here that really reveal the glory and the beauty of Jesus. We, we learn here reasons why we should trust him with our very lives. So what, what is it that we learn? First of all, we, we learn that Jesus has authority to speak. Um, when he speaks, we should listen. Isaiah 49, 1 says, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. So this second servant song is really autobiographical. Isaiah is not saying, I want you to listen to the Lord's servant. Here the Lord's servant himself says, listen to me. He says, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Here as in verse 6, which we'll talk about in a minute, Jesus is speaking to the Gentiles, not the Jews, who were near, but to the Gentiles who are from afar. He, he says, listen to me, listen to me, give attention to what I say. Again, this isn't Isaiah speaking because prophets would never draw attention to themselves as they speak. They, they would have spoken in a way to draw attention to the Lord. A, a prophet would say, hear the word of the Lord. Uh, verse 1 here is very different than that. It says, 
listen to me. This is the servant of the Lord speaking. This is Jesus speaking. The perfect servant Jesus can say, listen to me because he has the authority to speak. We, we know that because Jesus speaks the words that his father gave to him. Uh, in the high priestly prayer of John 17, Jesus says, I've given them the words that you gave to me, and they have received them, John 17, 8. When Jesus was transfigured on that mount of transfiguration, up on the high mountain, a voice from the cloud that overshadowed them said, this, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's in Matthew 17, 5. After Jesus' resurrection and just before his ascension up into heaven, Jesus appeared to his disciples. And in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 28, we read, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Then in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we're told this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. In fact, it's in Hebrews that we learn Jesus is superior not just to the angels, but to Moses the prophet. In fact, it was Moses himself in Deuteronomy 18.15 that said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you should listen. He Hebrews also teaches that Jesus is the great high priest who establishes a covenant that is superior to the old. So, why, why should we listen to Jesus? It's because Jesus speaks today with God's authority. This has huge implications for evangelism and discipleship today. Um, in the Great Commission, Jesus teaches us first that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And then he commands us to go and to make disciples, baptizing and teaching people to observe all that he has commanded. And so for evangelism and discipleship, we must teach and explain who Jesus is and why we should listen to him and then. And then we can teach what he has done to provide a way of salvation. It's, it's vital to consider what an unbeliever, in fact, a believer as well, uh, need to know about Jesus in order to rightly believe what he says. Jesus has authority to speak. 
The second vital truth that we learn in this passage is that Jesus is called by the Lord. Um, The second half of verse 1 there in Isaiah 49, the Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named me. Um, When our English translations speak of Lord with all capital letters, it's translating the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh is the name God revealed to Israel when he set them free from slavery in Egypt. And so it was the God who redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt that called his servant Jesus. He appointed Jesus to be his servant. Verse 1 here sounds very similar to what the Lord said to the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 1, 4, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, before I was formed, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jesus, too, would be a prophet who would speak for God. But but what else do we think about when we hear verse 1 say, the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother he named me. What do we think of when we read that? Well, both in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel, an angel of the Lord appeared and announced that Mary would conceive in her womb by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Son of God would bear, that she would bear would be called Jesus the Son of the Most High. The, the, the Son of God's name would be Jesus because he would come to save his people from his sins. And then in Matthew, we also learn he'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The, the point of all of this is that the birth of Jesus and the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and really the ascension of Jesus into heaven after his resurrection to sit at the Father's right hand. Even the promised second coming of Jesus to judge the world and to bring salvation to those who have believed the gospel. All of these are part of God's perfect plan carried out by his perfect servant, Jesus. God foretold his plan He announced his plan, and he executed his plan to perfection, all through his servant, Jesus. Um, You you have every reason to trust Jesus with your life. Third, we're told in verse 2 that Jesus will conquer, not by military force, but by the power of the word. Verse 2 says, he made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand he hid me he made me a polished arrow in his quiver he hid me away now a polished arrow is a prepared arrow ready for use Uh, if i don't know if there's any hunters here but if you hunted this past year you you made sure your gun was sighted in and your bow and arrow were sighted in and you were ready to use them at just the right time, or ready to be revealed at just the right time. You would never ever think of going into the woods carrying a gun, but no ammunition. You wouldn't go into the woods carrying a bow, but no arrows. 
Jesus is that polished arrow ready for use. A sword is another important weapon that a warrior must carry. A a small dagger tucked away, ready for use at the right time. God's perfect servant says, his mouth is like a sword and an arrow. In, In other words, the weapon of choice to accomplish God's will and to establish his kingdom and rule is his mouth or his word. It's not by military might. It's not by the use of a physical sword, but by the power of his mouth, the power of his word that his will will be done. Uh, When Jesus was unjustly betrayed, and arrested. You will remember that Peter pulled out his sword and he struck off the ear of the high priest's servant. Um, But Jesus told Peter to put away his sword. He said, enough of that. And, And then Peter, or excuse me, Jesus reattached the ear that Peter had lopped off. So right there on the spot, Jesus Uh, touched the man's ear and brought healing to that man. And and Jesus said this, "Do do you think that I could not appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Of course he could. Uh, Later, Pilate asked Jesus, "Are, are, are you the king of the Jews? And in his answer, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born, and for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, end of quote. That's John 18, 34 through 37. Notice that Jesus came to establish his kingdom. I I came for this purpose, he says. But also notice that his kingdom was not advanced by military might. Instead, Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. That's why we listen to his voice. Jesus came preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom, and that is how the kingdom is established. The, The word of God is powerful. That's why in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11, we read this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. (laughs) I love that text. You'll remember from Genesis 1 that God spoke the universe into existence. When God said, let there be light, there was light. We're told in Hebrews 1.3 that Jesus, 
upholds the universe. He keeps the universe together by the power of His Word. The, the Gospel, we're told in Romans 1.16, is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. That's why faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. The, the Word, the Gospel, the Word of Christ is powerful. It's life-changing. It has the power to speak into the life of a dead sinner and bring them to life. In 1 Peter 1, we are told that God's Word has been given so that we have all that we need for life and godliness. So it shouldn't surprise us that when we come to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, we read this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It's fascinating there that we, we learn that the voice of Jesus will be heard all over the earth. No one, no one anywhere can hide from Jesus. He, he knows the heart of every single person. He knows the thoughts and the intentions and the motives of the hearts of all people. These verses, these verses here in Hebrews 4 are often read for comfort, but in reality, these verses are really more convicting than they are comforting because no one can hide from God. His Word is living and active and able to expose what is in the hearts of men. And so the point of this passage is that Jesus will hold all people accountable. He, he knows those who have entered his rest and those who have not. Those who have not will be judged. But again, notice that the word of God is powerful in exposing what is in the hearts of mankind. Again, the weapon of choice to accomplish his purpose will be his mouth or the word. Jesus will conquer his kingdom will be established. He will rule and, in fact, is already doing so by the power of his word. Fourth, another reason to trust God's perfect servant with your life is that Jesus is the true Israel who brings glory to God. Verse 3 says, And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom... I will be glorified. Um, in, the, in the first part of Isaiah, we have learned a lot about how Israel failed again and again to obey God. In chapter 48, in particular, it's just one of those places that, that details the sin of Israel. In chapter 48, the Lord referred to Israel as obstinate. Their neck was like iron sinew. Their forehead like brass. They were treacherous. They're, and in fact, they were a rebel from before their birth. And the Lord said those things about Israel after 70 years being in Babylon because they were sent there because of their stubborn sin. You would think that after 70 years they would have learned their lesson as they were being prepared to be taken back to Jerusalem, but they didn't. What was their issue? 
Their issue was that they failed to listen to the Lord. But verse 3 says, And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. The, The question is this. Is this a reference to the nation of Israel or to Jesus? And I would argue that the larger context is clearly speaking of Jesus. Notice also in verse 5 that we read that God's servant will bring Israel back to him. So, can the nation of Israel save the nation of Israel? (laughs) I don't think so. But it does make perfect sense for Jesus to save Israel. So, I think verse 3 refers to God's perfect servant, Jesus, as the true Israel. Because he will bring glory to God. Something that the nation did not do in their rebellion. That that was their purpose, but they failed. God's perfect servant, Jesus, will bring glory to the Lord. Um, We we see that clearly in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. It's the birth narrative of Jesus. Verse 13 says, now when they had departed... so. That's the wise men after they had come to visit Jesus and then they they departed. The text says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill... What the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. So Jesus coming out of Egypt, Matthew says, fulfills what the prophet said. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And he would be God's perfect son, the the true son, the true Israel. The, the, The nation of Israel had failed again and again, but Jesus would prove to be the true son, the true Israel. Israel perfectly, always. Jesus was again tested in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, when he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. Why 40 days? Where where was the nation of Israel for 40 years? It, It was in the wilderness. And what did we learn about the nation of Israel there in the wilderness? They perished there because of unbelief. What do we learn about Jesus when he was tempted 40 days in the wilderness? Well, he he faced the full force of Satan's temptations, but he never, ever sinned. In Isaiah 49.3, we're told that the Lord's servant would glorify the Lord. Listen as I read John 17, 1-5, which is the high priestly prayer of Jesus, right towards the end of his earthly ministry, I quote, When when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given to me. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. (laughs) Jesus is the true Israel 
who in fact brought glory and brings glory to the Father. Now, fifth, we learn here that when faced with discouragement, Jesus trusts the Lord. Verse 4 says, But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. This is fascinating. Uh, you might think that the Lord's perfect servant would never ever be discouraged. But in fact, Jesus faced all of the same sorts of things that we face, including overwhelming circumstances. And he did that to better identify with us. Uh, John Oswald says, and I quote, God did not approach the arrogance and oppression of the world with greater arrogance and greater oppression. Rather, he comes with the humility, the vulnerability, and the powerlessness of a child, end of quote. In becoming God in the flesh, he subjected himself to all of the temptations that we face. He even experienced what we as children of God will never experience. He, he was forsaken by his father when he hung there on the cross. God, God has never forsaken us as his children. Yet Jesus trusted and obeyed his father's will in every way. And because of that, we can expect Jesus to help us when we face various difficulties and trials. Listen as I read Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. <laughs> I love that. Do you ever face discouragement? H have you ever been rejected? Have you ever given and given sacrificially and maybe even generously only to be rejected? Have you ever been mistreated? Have you suffered an injustice? I want you to know Jesus understands. Run to Him. Run to Jesus. It's, it's never pleasant to be mistreated. But your mistreatment does not have to be your identity. It doesn't have to destroy your life. You don't have to have a lifelong victim identity. Um, you don't have to be forever scarred. You can be comforted by Jesus. You can identify with His suffering. You can be empowered with the strength that He provides. You, you can, in fact, reflect. By, by the help of the Holy Spirit, you can reflect the character of Jesus for the praise of God's glory. It's not easy. It's hard. But it's possible because of the Spirit that dwells with us, and it's good. It's good. You, you too can expect to find mercy and grace from Jesus when you experience trials of many kinds. Now, there's one 
final thing that we want to learn about the Lord's perfect servant tonight, it's this. Jesus is a light, not just to Israel, but also to the nations. Verses 5 and 6 say this, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation will reach to the end of the earth. Now, Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is that light. Alec Motier says this, light is a rich metaphor signifying hope, relief, lifting of gloom, a sense of meaning and purpose, the, the light of life and of truth, the revealed way of the Lord, end of quote. This is Jesus, <laughs> not just for the Jews, but in fact for the whole world. Uh, verse 5 of Isaiah 49 states that Jesus will bring Jacob back to him and Israel might be gathered to him. So uh, you'll remember too, Paul teaches us in Romans 9 through Romans 9, 10, 11 that a remnant of Jews will in fact be saved. Those those children of the promise will be saved. Not, not all ethnic Jews, but a remnant who are chosen. But the main purpose of verses 5 and 6 is that it's too small a thing for the Lord to be only a light for the nation of Israel. The Lord's perfect servant would be a light for all nations, for the Gentiles. As I mentioned earlier in Acts 13, verses 44 through 49, we learn that the Apostle Paul quoted this very verse here in Isaiah 49, 6 as the reason why he took the gospel to the Gentiles. Um, whenever he went into a new city for the first time, he always sought out the Jewish synagogue first, but when they rejected the gospel, he would turn his attention to proclaiming the gospel among the Gentiles. And in fact, that was always God's eternal plan, to save a people made up of believing Jew and believing Gentile. Uh, in Ephesians 2, we are taught that Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. It, in Jesus, there is one new man, both believing Jew and believing Gentile are one in Christ. In fact, Paul really helps us to understand this in Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, where we're told that it was always God's plan, always God's plan from eternity past to reveal his glory through the church. Not, not just Israel, but through the church, made up of believing Jew and believing Gentile. So, let me just try to recap where we have been, and then I'll ask one question in, in way of application. We've talked about how God's perfect servant, Jesus, has authority to speak, and that's why we must listen to Jesus. We've talked about how Jesus 
has been called or appointed by God. We, we talked about how he will conquer, not by military force, but by the power of his word. We've talked about how he is the true Israel who does, in fact, bring glory to the Father perfectly. We talked about how he experienced and understands discouragement so that he can help you, so that he can give us mercy and grace when we are in need. We've also talked how he's the light for all nations, Jews and Gentiles. So this was planned by God from eternity past. It was prophesied by Isaiah, and it was fulfilled perfectly by Jesus, the Lord's perfect servant. So let me ask you one primary question as we close this morning. It's this. Are, are you living in the light of Jesus? Now, if, if you are living in the light of Jesus, I think there are at least four things that will be true of you. One, if, if you are living in the light of Jesus, you, you will be one who's listening to Jesus. Your ear will be tuned to pay attention to what he teaches us from his word. As he speaks through the Bible, his word, we have a desire to listen and obey. Secondly, if you are living in the light of Jesus, you will be trusting him alone for your salvation. He, he did what you and I could never do. He did what Israel could never do. He was perfect in every way. And when he went to that cross, he went there as the spotless Lamb of God. And he took upon himself the wrath of the Father so that we could be forgiven and we could be restored to a right relationship with the Father. But it comes only through what he has done. So we're, we're saved when we trust in Jesus alone, not Jesus plus something else, not our own good works, not what we do or what we don't do. It's our hope, our only hope, is Jesus and what he has done for us. So if you're living in, light, in the light of Jesus, you'll be trusting him alone for your salvation. Third, if you're living in the light of Jesus, you are running to him daily for mercy and grace to help you as you live a disciple, as a disciple-making disciple. So it's like... When you recognize who Jesus is and how he speaks into your life, you're going to recognize that you've got to run to him. He, he is the one who must give you his strength and his life so that you can live the life that he has called you to live. And that will enable you to do the fourth thing, and that is live for the praise of his glory. So if you're living in the light of Jesus you will be living for the praise of his glory. There are a lot of things that happen in our life that are outside of our control. Uh, your son losing his baseball game this morning. Um, Jonathan's wife testing positive for COVID. You know, we, we might try and try to try to keep certain things out of our life, but... It's impossible for us to really control our life. Um, we, we might try, but we, we won't be very successful. Um, it's impossible for us to orchestrate all of the pieces in our life just the way that we want them to be. But there's one thing that you and I can do 
There's one thing that we're able to do as we rely upon the Spirit of God. We can trust Him. We can listen to His voice. We, we can trust Him alone for our salvation. We can run to Him for mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And then we can say, Lord, whatever you choose to bring into my life, help me to respond in a way that will put the character of Jesus on display for the praise of your glory. We, we can't do that in our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we can accept whatever our loving Father in heaven brings into our life, and our response can be, Father, help, help me to steward this. Help me to respond in a way that will be for your glory. Um, in, in Jesus, in Jesus, you will find life as God intends it to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you in your love and mercy and grace did in sending your perfect servant to this earth to do what we could never do. And Father, we're thankful for the good news of Jesus that the work that he did in his death, burial, and resurrection provides a way for us to be restored to a right relationship with you when we trust him alone. But Father, we're also thankful that you by your spirit enable us to live for the praise of your glory. So I pray for everyone that is here today, both young and old alike, and I pray, Father, that as we go from here today, we'll, we'll go not impressed with ourselves, not um, working hard to have a better self-esteem, but we'll, we'll go from here realizing and resting in in Christ, who is your perfect servant, who did what we could never do and who works in our life in ways that are for our good and your glory. Help us to be a people as we go from here, even this week, to make much of Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.